0: Welcome to Collier's Talks, a podcast series featuring the latest trends, insights, research, and developments in commercial real estate in Canada and beyond. Hi, I'm Jamison Jackson, Managing Director of the Office Practice Group here at Collier's. Today, as part of our Tech to Watch series, part of the Collier's Talks program, we speak to up and coming tech leaders about how they started their businesses and what makes them succeed. Stay tuned for what's next. Welcome back to the Collier's Tech to Watch program. Today, I'm very pleased to be joined by Craig McCullen from ThinkOn. And I really uh, am excited about today's because infrastructure as a service is a topic I don't think a lot of our clients understand uh, very well. And I particularly liked your analogy about Lego bricks and and how you piece those things together. I think a good place to start is this. Craig, tell me about how did you start the business? What's the origin story? Where did it all start?
1: Uh, Sure, that's great. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a quirky story, but back in 2012, I was working in Denver, Colorado, as the chief technology officer of a company called uh, Hosting.com. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, my kids were in their teenage years, and I was traveling every week, and it just didn't make sense to keep doing that. So I, I decided uh, to uh, take a step back and uh, start working again in Canada, but I really wanted to start my own business and uh what i'd learned through my time in the us was that infrastructure as a service was really starting to ramp up but that there really weren't good products in the market for the reseller community and channel partners so there were organizations like AWS who were offering services but you know really certainly not channel friendly and then at the same time there's all these great people out in the in the field selling products technology products that were inevitably going to have to deal with the replacement of Equipment with cloud-oriented services. So that was the first. That was the, my motivation yeah, because I saw sales forces that were going to be really looking for great products. And then from a, a product perspective, you know, you mentioned Lego, um, mm-hmm. and you know, Lego is really an inspiration for us because the the original thesis, if you will, was if we could build, you know, very consistent Lego blocks, and you know, whether it be eight or ten different services that all fit together well and little piece of trivia is every Lego brick made since 1953 fits to its peer from any other age group. I did um, not know that. Yeah, there's a little trivia for you. And, uh, you know, we really looked at it uh, the team that, uh, I started, you know, early in the days of the business, we looked at it as an opportunity to say, if we could create standard services that would snap together and allow our resellers and ultimately our subscribers to, build solutions that solve their problems, delivering outcomes for them, that work for them, then there was a better chance that our services would get traction. And uh, while the thesis is still true to this day, there is a little twist to it. And that is, uh, we, you know, we built these services, they all fit together quite nicely, and we went up to market. And people weren't uh, excited about the time required to assemble them because they couldn't see the end result. So I'll take the Lego example one step further and Mm -hmm. tell you that if you were to go into a, a toy store today to buy Lego blocks, the reality is what people are buying is what's on the outside of the box, not what's inside the box. So what's inside the box is great engineering. What's on the outside of the box is the outcome that the consumer wants to buy for their child or friend or relative, or whoever the ultimate end user or what we would call subscriber is. So we had to go back and modify our business a little bit and start building what we call recipes where we could present the solution that was an assembly of our services in a way that not unlike having a boat or a car or a plane on the box of Lego, the same result occurred. And and that is really what I would say is the origin of the business, because from that point on, as soon as customers could start to see what the outcome was that our services, when fitted together a certain way uh, would, you know, would work properly, they could actually see the outcome. And then the business took off from there. That occurred in the middle of 2013. Interesting,
0: interesting. So it was, I mean, I'm using that Lego analogy, okay. I bought my daughter some Lego recently. It had a cat train. Um, you, you, what you were saying is here's the end result. Um, functional stable, secure email service or or whatever it is, this is what you're buying. We will create the engineering on the back end, which is, can be exceptionally difficult, but by the way, hey, channel partners, here's a email server system, just all put together in one go. Is that the idea?
1: example, yep. Okay. A lot of it was around data protection in the early days because, uh, well, even to this day, people are very concerned about data protection. And I think a lot of times people spend all their time and money thinking about the way an application should work and, the, and what they're trying to accomplish with that and then the data protection strategies sometimes an afterthought sometimes you know most of the time under budgeted so mm-hmm. a lot of our early recipes were around data protection and, and giving customers a, an easy an easy button to solve their data protection problems to complement where they were actually investing their energy in the, and that was in the application
0: right. So to even, even use another analogy, where the TSN turning point for ThinkOn was, you were blah selling all these different ingredients, but when you started putting recipes out there and having the like the quite the cooking courses, having local reseller chefs say here's a recipe, that's when the business really took off.
1: Exactly. I, actually, I think your point of uh, t- the turning point TSN turning point is is a perfect scenario because, I definitely notice the difference in the business before and after like night and day. So yeah, turning points. Perfect.
0: So tell me more about this then. So again, probably it's worthwhile uh, a high level explanation layman's terms of what infrastructure as a service is. And tell me about your ideal client and some of the problems that Syncon on uniquely
1: positioned to solve. Sure. Well, infrastructure as a service and in you know in my opinion you know the word cloud was you know established early in the origin period of the infrastructure as a service so the word cloud initially became synonymous with infrastructure as a service and since then it's moved into platform and software as a service but fundamentally infrastructure as a service really boils down to uh, having an economic model that allows an organization to pay for what they're using as opposed to paying what they believe they will need in the future. So if you look back over the last 35, 40 years of technology, all vendors, primarily manufacturers would, would work on an opportunity with a customer and they were always concerned about, well, how do we size it so that it meets your needs for the next three years? Mm-hmm. And so what it ends up happening is customers were paying for infrastructure that they themselves knew they would not need for some period of time. It made sense to do it that way because no one wants to go through a you know, rapid fire um, you know, capacity planning exercise, kind of like taking office space. I don't imagine people would yep. want office space. A lot of people didn't think about office space for what they need today. they think about what they need 12 months or 24 months from now. So IAAS had a similar um, value add to bring to the table where a customer could Size the requirement for what their day to day needs were, knowing that they could burst their capacity requirements elastically
0: mm-hmm. uh, if
1: that's a word. Um, I get both. So. Uh, you know, the high, the, the the heavy loads of a month or of a of seasonality, those sorts of things. So that, that was the original premise. I think since then it, it's evolved because it's all become a little bit muddled between platform as a service and software as a service. But fundamentally, it boils down to an economic advantage paying for what you use and then the second item is you know being able to do great capacity planning and deliver on an availability sla is something that most commercial it departments inside large organizations are distracted by that risk re- that responsibility they want to yep. focus on the business they want to focus on the delivering outcomes at the departments or the business overall can benefit from but if they're focused on maintaining basic dial tone you know compute tone maybe is another way to put it then yeah. the business can suffer because the it department can only really do so much so i think it, 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 from an it leadership perspective they really have to make decisions around where are we going to become experts and no one really wants to be an expert in infrastructure operations uh, if they don't have to be. So I think the, when cloud first uh, appeared in the scene, it was a very convenient time. I also think there was a lot of business executives who were disenfranchised with the IT organizations that they were mm-hmm. uh, funding and, and operating. You know, uh, if roll back another five years and you're in the outsourcing years where outsourcing is a little different model where the outsourcer would take your kit and somehow find a way to do it uh cheaper which i mean that's that doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense for the business but you did outsource a problem cloud meets you in the middle where you get the flexibility of consumption without the headaches of trying to squeeze an outsourcer down so i really think it fit a good need at the time
0: so tell me this then i mean what are some of the typical applications so if i'm a business user who's not terribly it literate I mean, email, there's a classic example that companies pay for. What are some of the very typical use cases that, you know, when you talk about the recipe, great, here's your email system. What are some of the other recipes that are typical use cases?
1: Sure. Well, I mean, email is a great example to start with because, you know, there is no question in my mind that, uh, you know, Microsoft's delivering a a quality uh, product with M365. But what people don't know is that there's no backup. Uh, and Microsoft themselves, right, in their documentation, state that you, as a customer of them, are responsible for your data. It's what you would typically expect to see in a SaaS application, because otherwise it becomes incredibly uh, onerous for the vendor to take all those responsibilities, even though it makes absolute sense that the supplier of the service would take that responsibility, they they don't. Right. So there's a recipe for that. Office 365 backup is a recipe that you know we and several others like us offer that is a complementary service to what is a very widely consumed service being hosted email. That's one example. And uh, what we try to provide customers is a, we call it a cloud neutral archive. So that doesn't matter where your data is, it could be across multiple clouds, but let us at least provide you with one place where you can have the single source of truth. And there are literally 10 recipes that come from that, from as simple as connecting your existing backup products into that, to archiving products to like very long-term retention where the customer is looking for the full information lifecycle management. And those are all really real world applications that are applicable across practically every business. because whether your business has a requirement, say a legal requirement to retain financial information for seven years or medical information for 75 or you know simple accounting data for one year, you still have a requirement to retain some data and yeah. why not have a single throat to choke that can deliver on that. And, you know, does that really well and something that it's easy for people to get their heads around. Got it.
0: Okay. So if I'm a business owner and <coughs> if I'm a business owner and I say, look, I need email systems and oh, and by the way, guess what? You're, the most popular email system used <laughs> doesn't include backup. So I need a place to store that data. And by the way, just like the shredding trucks, going around, you're going to need a a program to be able to manage the life cycle of that information as well. What you can say is I can put all these Lego pieces together and almost, and the difference between you and say, just going straight to an AWS or an Azure or whomever is the way I'll view it is it appears like you're almost like an insurance broker. You're agnostic in terms of where this goes and you can put multiple products from multiple different companies together so that you're thinking from the client's best interest, not necessarily from what that company sells.
1: That's right. Yeah, a lot of the times it involves creating a SKU, you know, like a, a, a SKU for tracking purposes that matches the outcome the customer is looking for. So anything that we do, you could assemble yourself in a hyper cloud, but you might need 20 different SKUs. You'll mm-hmm. deal with 40 to 50 different surcharges that are all completely logical but incredibly annoying because you can't get uh, cost predictability around it. We that's create right. one schedule and we, we nail the cost predictability. So if if we tell you that it's going to cost $5 a month to back up a mailbox for data that you're going to retain for seven years, I can guarantee you their invoice is going to say $5. It's not going to say- Which save is not $5 the case right, in exactly. infrastructure
0: as a service. Yep. Uh, often it comes in as actually that's $15
1: Totally. Yeah. And, and then you start looking at the fine print and you realize it's all legit, but it didn't show up there in testing because I wasn't really working the system. I wasn't pushing scale. And uh, the way I like to think of it is uh, it, in our, at our heart, at our core of our company is still a large group of technologists who try to solve problems. And I would say the hyper clouds are large groups of merchandisers who work very hard to make the merchandise as consumable as possible and ideally they start to add up and when they start to add up oftentimes either someone's embarrassed by their mistake or they, it it doesn't really, it doesn't affect them enough to worry about it. So people just kind of roll with it. The next thing you know, you're paying 18, 20, 22% more for services that now are starting to become annoying. Right.
0: So effectively, I mean, what you do is you say, instead of, having someone responsible for building the infrastructure of the business. You've got one throat to choke with some cost certainty around that and someone to make sure that all those pieces fit together so that you don't have to have 30,000 SKUs to go to Loblaws. What you can say is I want a Caesar salad. And by the way, it better cost six bucks.
1: Yeah. And it's going to have the lemons in the pre-cut lemons. It's going to have shredded Parmesan cheese. You know, the quality of the lettuce itself is going to be great. And it's going to be in a nice, simple package that, Hopefully it minimizes waste. Got it. So tell me this then. Tell me
0: about your ideal clients and how Syncon would be uniquely positioned to help them. Who's your ideal?
1: Well, the, you know, it varies across industries and segments, but I would say that it always starts with a customer that knows they have data, knows they have a fiduciary or legal requirement to retain that data, and doesn't want to be... I guess, buried in the minutiae of how to accomplish that themselves. They, they ideally will also have an awareness of ransomware and malware and they're, and they're taking that seriously.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then they're looking for a scenario that will give them absolute certainty around their data availability and data uh, survivability. And then uh, I would say what is a close second to that is an organization that's looking for disaster recovery as part of that. So they're looking for, um, it's almost like a a twofer, you know, that I'll get my data somewhere, I'll make sure it's absolutely safe. Oh, and by the way, if I encounter a disaster in my primary system, which may be hosted on a public cloud, may be hosted in their own office, it doesn't really matter where it is. The point is that that customer now has an insurance policy. You said the word insurance broker earlier, so we'll run with that. Okay. It's an insurance policy that they know their data is always safe and they can actually, Restart their application somewhere else in the event of some sort of critical loss or, or failure. That's our customer.
0: Okay, so a customer that says, I recognize I have a certain amount of data. I recognize that I have some responsibilities, either from a fiduciary or from a regulatory point of view, in terms of how I manage that data. I am concerned and aware of things like malware and ransomware and how that can uh, destroy a business. And then, secondly, um, The ideal client is somebody who's also saying, look, I'm also interested in disaster recovery. So not only just preventing the everyday issues, but what happens if a real disaster happens and how does my business continue? How do I protect that gold copy of my data that is the most valuable part of the business? Whether that that could be their customer list, that could be their uh, source code. Uh, If they're a software company, whatever that valuable is, data that makes that business that business and they can't survive without it. And they've got an awareness of that. Does that make sense? Perfect.
1: Yeah, it's perfect. Yep.
0: Okay. So at this point, okay, I'm that business. How does Syncon come in and, and, and serve that?
1: Yeah. So uh, you know, we work through our channel partners. So we're 100% uh, channel based, with some minor public sector, um, you know, uh, separ separation of business because some of the public sector uh, customers, especially at the federal level, require a direct contract. But otherwise, mm-hmm. we work exclusively through the channel the what's nice about our business is our channel partners, they own the relationship with the customer. So, you know, if you think about, you know, most organizations with a professional sales force, those salespeople have great relationships with a subset of people. And so we, we don't replace that. We don't, uh, we don't you know, cause any issues for that. We don't try to displace it any sort of a way we literally augment it. So we've given those partners, a list of you know what I would call common use cases or outcomes, and so we've we've identified a, a person or an organization that, that understands what I said and what you repeated back to me so eloquently a minute ago. Now that partner engages us, and what's nice about our business is, you know, we're not trying to uh, discuss the art of the possible with the customer. We're not trying to transform their business. We're trying to help them free up time so they can work on transformational projects. Right. So. Our use cases, and our recipes are very straightforward and it usually requires uh, one discovery phone call, maybe an in person meeting. Sometimes some customers want to have that extra level of due diligence where they want to explain something. They inevitably want to try it. We facilitate proof of concepts. And then, you know, a large percentage of the time they buy into the service because at the end of the day, it is cloud based economics, right? So we're not asking people to commit to large volumes if they don't have them. We're not asking them to size for two years out. We're asking them to size for the need today. And as their consumption grows, they pay more. They're notified of it, you know, if it if it makes sense that they wanna be notified when they've gone over the, what their contractual threshold is. But what what's really nice about our business is the partner never steps out of being in control of the relationship. Our services are built through the same partner. So the partner has how 100% accountability to that relationship, which most good sellers want, Mm -hmm. because that's, that's how they maintain their own livelihoods and grow their business. And uh, you know, our job is to make sure that the service is always available and priced and invoiced properly, which is what we do. So it's really a great symbiotic relationship with the channel partner uh, and ultimately the the subscriber or, or user of our service. And you know, those, the implementation times vary because it's at least half of the time it takes to provision is tied to the customer being ready to provision. We
0: mm-hmm. have a lot
1: of automation in our portfolio of services where customers can use automation.
0: I think the things that, I, that I'm hearing that makes Syncon unique is number one, you still got your resellers in charge of that customer relationship. So they're still there, they're still front and center, and you're not asking your sales partners to go ahead and be a chef. You are the chef. Um, they're the people that have that relationship. They're the, 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 the wedding coordinator. D. Yeah. Absolutely. They're the major D and you say, look, I want a steak and fries and I want a great bottle of red wine. That's a little bit on the dry side. And you say, great. We're the chef. We pull piece it all together. One stop shop. And you're responsible for making sure that all the pieces talk to each other. And that it's available and it's priced appropriately for the market. And in return, what the client gets is they get to pull their head out of working um, in their business so that they can work on their business.
1: Hey, that's a great analogy. Yes. Perfect.
0: Yeah, the e Revisited. It's a great concept. Yeah. And this is why, uh, I'm, as you might guess, I'm a big fan of infrastructure as a service, as a business, because it makes so much sense. Nobody wants to run their own data centers anymore. Nobody wants to buy servers that you have to replace every five years. <laughs> nobody, yeah. nobody wants the 24 seven technologists no. that you gotta have <laughs> and, and recruit. Um, there's huge economies of scale to that and people want that flexibility. You know, Amazon talks a lot about their ability to desegregate their businesses. So that each individual business is not tied as, as we all know, the bigger corporation, you're waiting on stuff from other people all, all the time. Yep. Amazon talks about how to delever that and say, look, here's an API between these two things. Here's hire your own legal counsel. So you're not waiting for corporate legal counsel, It like just make sure these business units can move faster. And what it sounds like is one of the key advantages to doing that is you bring ThinkOn in, and all of a sudden you can innovate faster because you've got this, you don't have to predict what you're gonna need in the future, you don't have to be a technologist, you just have to say, I want the steak.
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, something I've said for years is, uh, and you're, you know, you're in your office today, so every night someone comes through your office and empties your trash can. And every morning you go into the office and you don't notice it, but the trash can's empty until the one day when you need to throw something into the trash can, it's suddenly not empty. And then, you know, what happened? People start to get a little concerned about this. Well, I like to think of our business as not unlike the person that empties your trash can every night. We just do it well, and no one notices. I, I, years ago, I had a partner who said uh, one of the reasons why they loved working with us is no customer ever used our name in vain. Nah, <laughs> I like it. You know, yeah, like I, you know, we do. That's another reason why we like the Lego story because we can. You know, some people can build very sophisticated things with Lego. No question we like to build easy to understand things with our lego bricks that can actually be used to solve these you know these annoying problems so that the customer can be empowered
0: that makes sense that makes sense so let's talk about that i mean speaking of offices you know we're in the real estate business so we're always curious to see what role does real estate play in syncon business like how do you use it to grow the business and has that changed recently especially particularly over the last couple of years
1: yeah. Yeah. No, it definitely has. Uh, you know, when COVID hit, we were sub 40 employees you know, and uh, now we're almost 150. Wow! Uh, the office space we have today could, could never contain us uh, if we were to revert to the pre-COVID approach. I, I as a business you know, founder, love managed by walking around. one of my key mantras and i probably went through six weeks of uh severe concern over how that was going to continue when we first were all sent home in march of 2020. um so i had had to start with me overcoming that mental barrier which i did and then you know so to answer your question what we've done is we've we've pushed people you know what we've said is we are a work from anywhere company now we do have obligations to the federal government Uh, because of our some of our secure work so Mm -hmm. we will always have to have people in offices that have clearance that's a that's a given in our business but what we've also tried to do is start looking at more regional offices or smaller smaller offices where people can rotate through and spend time so what we're we're working on the strategy that that i've read some things about it's called asynchronous management where you organize the way in which people come together and when they come apart so when we come together, we you said this earlier. We work on the business. And we come apart. We work in the business, and we think that office space is a critical component of that because we really can't recreate the working on the business days um, with uh, you know with Zoom all the time. So yep. so we're we're formulating that strategy with you know regional offices where we can actually bring those resources together. I would say we are far from perfect on that because we've had employees move all over the country uh all over the world actually since this started with our blessing um so we're it's a work in progress but i my my envision i envision the future as more smaller offices where we can you know bring people together like in Ottawa, for instance um, mm-hmm. that's our that's in our uh, office space and then certainly in the data center space where we really see i think two opportunities there we 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 consume a lot of co-location space from other providers we also have some of our own data centers where we, where we consider that's our core, where we deliver a lot of our core services from because we want to have control over our costs as we grow. But I see a third opportunity, and that is for edge data centers, data centers that are in building or taking up uh, modest amounts of, of real estate in commercial areas that are delivering edge type compute services. So whether it's uh, VDI, a like virtual desktop or security services or data capture services. Like there's, just imagine how much data is generated in every office building uh, that is today f- falling on the floor or maybe being captured in some sort of a analog device that, and has virtually no leverage from a analytics perspective. We, I see an opportunity for us to be deploying edge compute into those environments as a, as potentially a tenant. Interesting. Um, yeah, or, or doing a lot of customers are starting to talk about on-prem cloud. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Some of the hyper clouds offer services, but they're really designed for the, the biggest of organizations. Well, wouldn't it be amazing in your office if what you have in your uh, former wiring closet slash computer uh, mm-hmm. closet uh, is a fully functioning cloud infrastructure that has all the benefits of infrastructure as a service economically with the added benefit of it being on-prem, but at the same time, making sure your data is actually replicated offsite and you've got disaster mm-hmm. recovery, well, uh, why not turn that into as a service? And really in that, from that perspective, I think that reinforces the importance of office space for people yep. because it's it really, I, I really do believe that people need to find the right balance between coming together and coming apart.
0: Yeah, and I think it's a lot of, co- a lot of companies, including ourselves are, are finding a way with that as well. So if the future is this, is that the future is maybe edge computing centers and major office buildings and a series of smaller offices where people can gather and work on the business. What does the rest of the future for ThinkOn look like? What's next?
1: Well, data is growing at 24% per year. So in theory, if you were sitting still, you're still you know, addressing a 24% annualized growth rate, which is a great tailwind. Uh, but what's actually happening is more and more organizations are waking up to the reality of the importance of, uh, you know, a, a cloud neutral archive. And there's retaining data for longer periods of time because they're discovering not only do I have a fiduciary responsibility, but there might be a business reason around analytics.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I, I, just a s- slight diversion here. I grew up in a household where my parents owned a restaurant. Amongst a few other businesses, and my mother kept a weather log every day, for fifteen years, and after about five years, she could predict the staff she needed, for the day for each day in the restaurant just based on the average of the weather and how it affected uh, receipts in the restaurant, and that's a very low tech example of analytics like in, its, in its purest, raw form. And I think a lot of companies are gonna to start to wake up to the benefit of doing those long tail analytics where they don't wanna keep just 30 days of data, but they want five years of data and they wanna perform analytics on demand. And I think that's just gonna drive a lot of incremental business for us. The other area where we see tremendous opportunity is there's a, there's a wholesale change coming in the way data is protected. You know, People are talking about quantum computing now as being a, an, an amazing opportunity uh for growth and analysis well it has the exact same negative aspect because quantum computing will end up in the hands of the bad guys and Mm -hmm. gals and it'll be used for bad actor type activities like data decryption so you know i was talking to someone yesterday about this and they were asking well what's the right way to protect data and my answer was well it depends on what the data is because if it's banking transaction data it doesn't really matter whether someone cracks the encryption in 30 days, who cares? The transaction's done. There's no opportunity to leverage the knowledge, there's no opportunity to do a trade that reflects that. Whereas if it's healthcare data, uh, it's never too late to do something with that information. If I'm looking for leverage on a person or I'm looking for some sort Mm -hmm. of information that I can use to my advantage later. So those require different uh, approaches and there's a whole new class of data encryption that's gonna come onto the market in the next little while. Uh, and, you know, that's that opposes opportunities for us because that means that all the data that's been stored for the last five, 10, 15 years is gonna to have to go through a, a complete change uh, mm. to be re-protected, and I see opportunity there. So, you know, those are two, I would say, big areas. And the third area for us is becoming more application aware. Not, it's not always about SaaS applications because the issue with SaaS is right now, doesn't matter how much they uh, SaaS vendors talk about fencing your data. The reality is that your data is sitting inside an environment with lots of other organizations' data. Yeah. I believe there is a relatively uh, sizable niche between SaaS and, and IaaS where people will look for private SaaS. And there's lots of custom applications that are going to require or deliver great value if, if delivered that way. Whether it's because of a heightened sense of security or they just you just want more mobility of your data, that's gonna be another big area for us.
0: Interesting. Very interesting.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that's a that's a
0: pretty good view of the future. And I think this has been a, this has been a fascinating discussion about all, all things data and infrastructure and the unique role that I think Syncon can play. So thank you very much for joining us on the Collier's Tech to Watch program. It's been a joy. Well,
1: thank you for the time. It was a great opportunity. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to Collier's Talks Podcast.
0: To learn more about Collier's Canada, our experts, and our solutions, visit collierscanada.com or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook.